All right, we are in Colossians chapter 3 and in the section of this chapter where our human relationships are dealt with. And um, we've found already uh, the husband-wife relationship and really that uh, relationship is at the heart of human society and uh, the Lord gives very important instruction, not only here, of course, but in other passages of Scripture as well. We saw the children-parent relationship, and also a very important one, a very formative one, and one that God intends to be used to bring those children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and so that they themselves personally would come to know the Lord, uh, to know him by faith, and then to, um, as he directs, uh, and should they have children of their own, that they would pass on to the next generation uh, the truth of the Lord and um, a call really to the next generation (laughs) to honor the Lord, to follow him, and to live for him. And that brings us to verse 22, and uh, verses 22 down through chapter 4, verse 1, uh, bring uh, to our attention the servant-master relationship. And so uh, let's read those verses, and then we'll begin uh, our study of them. So starting at verse 22 of Colossians 3, servants... Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done. And there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So here again, Uh, Both sides of the relationship are spoken to. And uh, in in and over the course of our lives, we may find ourselves on either side of a relationship like this. Uh, We might find ourselves in that role of a servant or the equivalent in a modern sense, or we might find ourselves in the role of a master. And uh, in either case, uh, the Lord obviously gives some instruction to us. Now, uh, the title that I've given to this message, and again, uh, we won't finish the the whole section uh, this evening, but the title that I've given is On Slaves in Relation to Masters. And you will notice that I've used a different word, Uh, for part of that title. Our King James Version, verse 22, starts with the word servants. 
but I am using in my title the word slave. And what you will find in in, uh, many uh, other translations that that is in fact the word that is used in this location. In fact, one writer uh, commenting on this word says, it is wrong to translate doulos as servant. Now, uh, speaking very dogmatically there, obviously, uh, but he goes on, or she, I'm not sure uh, who it is uh, as far as the person. It's in a, a theological uh, dictionary. Uh, the person goes on, uh, it is wrong to, to translate doulos, which is the Greek word, as servant, so obscuring its precise signification in the language of the first century. And uh, the writer goes on to, to make the point that what really is being uh, the point that is being made in the using of this term is that that we are talking of a person who is unfree. They are not free, and uh, there are passages of scripture, in fact, that that speak. In fact, uh, yeah, if you look at verse eleven. And notice uh, there we are told, well, verse 10, we put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, that's our word, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And so you can see there that it's used in contrast to that idea of free. And that is exactly the point, right? That here is a person who is not free. And uh, in fact, another dictionary defines this term as uh, it's a word that refers to someone who is the property of another. And uh, so it is, I think, like we can think of, of, of a person who might be a servant and we might think of, you know, a person who's, you know, who's got a role uh, in a household, perhaps, as, as serving and so on, but you know, they're getting paid for their, their service and they're essentially you know, an employee in that sense. But this word is stronger than that, right? And it's depicting a situation uh, that, is, um, that, that really is a setting where that individual is not... Free. Uh, there is another person who has rule over them. Another dictionary uh, defines it this way. Uh, the emphasis of the words with the dual, D-O-U-L, is the anglicized uh, Greek terms. The emphasis of the words with this stem lies on the service being that of a slave, that is, on a repressive or at least dependent form of service under the complete control of a superior. Right. So again, very strong term. The strength of the term serves to make a very important point, right? So, so we tend in our modern 
uh, situation to make application of these principles, and I think rightly so, to an employee-employer relationship. And I think that's, you know, that's entirely appropriate to make application to that kind of a relationship. But when, when we think of a person being an employee, we do not think of that person being the property of someone else. That employee cannot be sold to someone else. That employee cannot be passed on as an inheritance to your son, the next generation, right? Um, that employee is not someone who is under the complete control of that superior, right? I mean, five o'clock comes and they're out of there, right? They're home, whatever, okay? So, again, I think it's right for us to take the principles and, and apply them in, in that looser, freer setting, but the very fact that the principles are stated in that very constricted, you know, you're owned by someone setting, makes the point all the stronger. So if these principles apply in that setting, how much the more in a, a freer setting, if you will. Now, I do want us to spend a little bit of time uh, thinking through um, this idea of slave and master. And again, I've used the, the stronger term in my title, and uh, I will probably uh, use it mostly in our talking here. If I use the word servant, think slave, right? Because that's what we're talking about. I'm going to make a statement that may um, not feel right to you. Okay? <laughs> okay? Bruce covers his ears. <laughs> okay. There is nothing inherently wrong with slavery. That doesn't feel right, does it? Okay. There is nothing inherently wrong with slavery. That which makes slavery problematic in most cases is the master's sinful abuse of his authority over that slave. Right? So in other words, to be the property of someone else is not inherently wrong. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? Where the problem arises, right, and, and especially so because that master has absolute authority over that slave, right? That slave is his property, right? And so with that situation, given our sinful human natures, the real problem is that the, that master uh, sins in his interaction with that slave, and again, it's you know it, it, it is that wrong, sinful exercise of authority that makes it a problem, right? If that master did as chapter four verse one tells him to do if he was just and equal with his servant, 
excuse me, with his slave, hey, no problem, right? Uh, if he treats him fairly, treats him justly, treats him righteously, the master-slave relationship should work, right? And what's interesting is that the Old Testament scriptures have a very interesting uh, prescription for uh, the nation of Israel. And in the Mosaic Law, um, a person, an Israelite, who, because of poverty or some situation like that, sort of sold himself into slavery, every seven years gets to go free. Right? That's the way the Lord did it. Gets to go free. Unless... He says, I don't want to go free, right? I, I like my master, good master, fair to me, so on. I like my work, whatever. I'm not going to go free. And so they take him to a doorpost, owl, a hole, A-W-L, a hole through his ear, and he's a permanent uh, bond servant of that master, right? Uh, so... Again, my point here is not to, to advocate for slavery, right? That's not my point, right? But I think it is very helpful for us in thinking through the principles that are stated here that we recognize that, that there is nothing inherently wrong with slavery. In fact, turn with me to First Timothy chapter 6. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Holy Spirit anticipates a very interesting possibility. Instruction is given to a Christian who is a slave. And included in that instruction is the situation where the slave, the Christian slave, has a Christian master. Look at verse 1. Let as many slaves as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. There's a public witness and testimony. Your conduct as a slave reflects on God right, and on his uh, doctrine. And then it goes on, and they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved and partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort, right? So in other words, here you are and you're a believer, right? And we just read Colossians 3 verse 11 that says, hey, in Christ there's neither bond nor free, right? I mean, there's, there's this leveling of the playing field, as it were, when we come to our need of salvation and what it is that saves. It's faith in Christ alone. Doesn't matter if you're a slave or a free man. Doesn't matter if you're a master, Jew, Gentile. It's the same, right? However... You may well, as someone who comes to faith in Christ as a slave, you may well find yourself in a situation with a believing master, right? You're not to despise that person. Right? Oh, well, you know, if, if they really were godly, they would let me go. The Bible never requires that of a master. Very interesting, 
Okay, so again, folks, that's why I'm saying there is nothing inherently wrong or sinful with slavery. The scriptures do not advocate for slaves rising up against their masters to break away to freedom. And in fact, you have a whole book of the Bible, not a very long one, one chapter, Philemon, where Paul put that letter in the hands of a runaway slave and sent him back to his master. Right? In the meantime, the runaway slave met Paul in Rome and came to faith in Christ. And Paul is sending him back to Philemon, his believing master. Right? And uh, again, encouraging Philemon to receive him. Philemon could have had him put to death. right? And, uh, but Paul... Uh, obviously is advocating that he would obviously not do that, right? So very, very, very interesting. Um, So uh, rather than advocating for slaves rising up against their masters, subjection to masters is actually commanded. And on the other hand, masters, for their part, are also commanded, as we just saw in chapter 4, verse 1, to be just and fair toward their slaves. Right? Um, now, if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, again, you see this very clearly uh, spoken to again. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is a chapter that has as its major theme marriage. And uh, yet there's some a very interesting point that is made in the flow of the argument here. And it has to do with a person um, and their standing when they come to faith in Christ. Right? So you may be married and come to faith in Christ. And that may put you in a situation where you are now a believer and your husband is now an unbeliever. Or not now, he always has been a husband, an unbeliever. And so the Bible gives instruction about how to, to function with that. But in support of all of that general argument, you have a very interesting statement. Look at verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Are you called being a slave? That is, have you come to faith in Christ being a slave? Care not for it. In other words, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. Right? However you want to say it. No big deal is essentially what he's saying. Now, he does go on. If you may be made free... Go ahead, use that, right? You know, take advantage of that. He's not saying you can't seek freedom or take advantage of an opportunity for freedom. But he is making the point, if you are, if you are called to Christ in the position as a slave, that's okay. And then he gives this explanation. For he that is called in the Lord being a slave, is the Lord's free man. Right? In other words, listen. 
you know, you have been set free in Christ. Yes, you're a slave. Yes, you're serving that earthly human master. But you need to count the great privilege that is yours in Christ, right? And uh, you're, you're welcomed uh, into Christ's presence in that sense. But then there's also this. Likewise also, he that is called being free is Christ's slave. Right? Now, the point is not that you know, here's a, a, a literal slave and they come to faith in Christ and they're not Christ's slave. That's not the point. Yes, they are Christ's slave. But, but when you're a slave to that master, you're free, right? You truly are blessed. And, uh, and when you're a free man, you know, again, it's no, you're a slave of Christ, right? You have come under his authority entirely, right? So just a very, very interesting uh, play on these relationships. Verse 23 continues, you are bought with a price. Be not ye the slaves of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. And that statement there, be not ye the slaves of men, I think is interesting and, and that will come into play in the instruction that we see in Colossians chapter 3. Okay, so I'll, I'll uh, come back to that in a minute. But, so that, that instruction then is saying, listen, if you, if you come to Christ and you're a slave, that's okay. You don't have to worry about that. You can still live for Christ uh, as a slave. And of course, passages like Colossians chapter 3 uh, will give you counsel. First Timothy chapter 6, as we saw, uh, Titus gives some instruction as well that we'll note uh, later. Okay, now, let's go back. Well, actually, we won't go back to Colossians. Yes, we will. <laughs> Sorry. Let's do that. Uh, go back to Colossians. <clears throat> okay, so we're talking about this idea of uh, slaves and masters. And we're saying that there is nothing inherently wrong with slavery. Uh, again, not that I'm advocating for a return to it, but just to help our thinking, we need to recognize that biblically speaking, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. The problem, as I said, lies when the master misuses his absolute authority. Okay. Now, I want to show you something that I think is just very interesting. Uh, Colossians 3, look at verse 22. Servants... Obey in all things your masters, and then it says according to the flesh, so obviously those are human masters, right? Okay, so you see that word master? Look down at chapter 4, verse 1. You see the first word of the verse? Masters give unto your slaves, right? So again, that's clearly a human master. But let's keep reading chapter 4, verse 1. Give to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master. So the masters have a master. But that master is not according to the flesh. That master is in heaven. 
It's the same word. Master and master, it's the same word. Let's go back to verse uh, 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the master. Kyrios. It's the same word that's translated master. Here it's capitalized and translated Lord because it's referring to the Lord. Same word though. So you, whatever you do, do it heartily as if you're doing it to that master. And what is so interesting is that the slave, the human slave, earthly slave, also has a master in heaven. So here you've got an, a, a human slave, you've got an earthly master, both of them have a master that is in heaven. Again, look at verse 22. Sorry, verse 24. Knowing that of the curios, the master, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the curios Christ, the master Christ. Folks, there is nothing inherently wrong with slavery. We all, as believers, are to count ourselves slaves of the Lord. There is nothing inherently wrong with slavery. Right? You've got the right master. You've got the master exercising his authority the way he ought to exercise his authority. It's all good. Very interesting. Uh, this point is made repeatedly in, in Scripture, this idea that, that God is our master. It is made repeatedly in Scripture. Simeon, when he holds in his arms the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is so thankful to the Father, he says, Lord Now let your slave depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He counts himself a slave to God. The Apostle Paul repeatedly, Acts chapter 16 verse 17 along with Silas, Romans chapter 1 verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5, uh, there he actually counts himself as a slave of the, Christ, of the Corinthians for Jesus' sake. Uh, Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, Philippians chapter 1 verse 1, and Timothy is included there. Titus chapter 1 verse 1, all of those verses, he's, he's identifying himself as a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Same term is used. Right? He's saying repeatedly, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, And if we take then that definition, I am the property of someone else. Right, and, and surely, folks, that is the case. We have been bought with a price. The price that was paid 
is the blood of our master. Right? And in that, uh, in paying that price, we truly are set free. We used to be, same word is used biblically, we used to be slaves of sin. But we've been redeemed. We've been purchased. We've been bought out of that slave market of sin. And we now are slaves to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been bought with a price. Peter identifies himself that way. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. The Apostle John identifies himself that way. Re- Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. What is so interesting, James chapter 1, verse 1, and Jude verse 1, both James and Jude identify themselves as slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's especially interesting because... On a human level, they were his half-brothers, right? They were sons of Mary and Joseph, right? They're half-brothers of the Lord Jesus. But they willingly, you know, step forward and identify themselves as slaves of the Lord Jesus because they understand who he is, right? He's not just their half-brother. He's the God of heaven, right? Come in human flesh. Uh, In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul identifies uh, Epaphras as a slave of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, pastors are identified as slaves of Christ. Revelation chapter 10, verse 7, prophets are identified as slaves of God. Revelation 15, verse 3, Moses is spoken of as a slave of God. Um, And you have numerous passages that refer to all of us as believers as slaves of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, verse 18. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 7, verse 3. Chapter 11, verse 18, chapter 19, verse 2, and verse 5, chapter 22, verse 3, and verse 6. Let's turn there. Revelation chapter 22. Okay, so all of these references are referring to believers, that's just ordinary believers, as slaves of God or of Christ, right? Okay, so so the scripture is... Uh, wanting us to regularly think of ourselves in that kind of a relationship with God. Now, I've asked you to turn to the last chapter in our Bibles. And Bible geography, right? You know that the book of Revelation is a prophetic book. But there is something especially special can you say that? Especially special? Uh, about the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. What is it that's special about the last two chapters of the book of Revelation? What time period are they describing? Okay. The new heaven and the new earth, right? And, and so we are, we're past the tribulation. We're past the thousand-year reign. We are now in eternity. It's a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells, according to Peter, 
righteousness. Sin is gone entirely, right? It's all gone. Sorrow and death, right? Revelation chapter 21. Sickness and pain, and all gone. What's not gone? Look at chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bore twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His slaves shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. That's eternity. Right? This relationship that we have with that God for all of eternity. He, my master, me, his slave. There is nothing inherently wrong with slavery. Right? Put that way, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. And folks, when we come back to Colossians chapter 3 and we think through the details that are given to us in describing this relationship and how a servant, a slave is to be to his master and a master to his slave and so on, what, what is emphasized is the Lord's lordship of us, our being his slave, right? Uh, Notice again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, servants are told to obey in all things their earthly masters, not with eye service as men pleasers, we'll deal with all of that in the future message, but notice, but... In singleness of heart, fearing God, right? So there's some right thinking about God. There's some reverence and respect to God that I bring with me into this human relationship. It's it's an authority relationship. Let's take employer-employee, right? So we've got this employer-employee relationship, but I bring into it some thinking that includes God, right? And my right thinking, my fear, my reverence of God is brought into the relationship. And that is so clear in verse 23. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily, right? Not half-heartedly. No, do it heartily. Do it with gusto. Do it with enthusiasm, right? As if you were doing it to the Lord, not to men. Because 
That's exactly the truth. Right? Ephesians chapter 6 makes that clear. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of uh, God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord, not to man. Right? Same, similar ideas. But let's, again, notice verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. I mean, here you are, you're serving your employer. True, but don't forget, as a Christian, you're also serving the Lord Christ. Same time. Same time that you're serving your employer, you're serving the Lord Christ. And again, that's, that's why I'm saying that the Lord wants us to bring into our thinking as we go about living in this particular human relationship, especially the Lord is wanting us to bring into our thinking, I've got a master in heaven, right? And the way I work and serve and give my energy and effort to this human master needs to be no different than what I would do for my heavenly master. I need to think of it as one and the same. Remarkable. And again, we'll deal with this more carefully in a future message, but look at verse 25. But, here's a caution. He that does wrong in this serving... He that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done. There are consequences when we don't do it right. And then this added phrase, there is no respect of persons. There is no partiality. There is no favoritism. And folks, I think what that makes clear is, this is talking about the Lord. Right with an with an earthly master, there may well be partiality. Right, there's no guarantee of impartiality. Right, with an earthly master, they have favorites. Right, and if you don't happen to be the favorite, not going to go so well for you. Right, but with the Lord, there's no partiality. And so even that last verse, that little that little bit of warning, right, is is to remind us, hey, listen, what we're doing, we're doing for Christ, and there are consequences. We won't lose our salvation. But there are earthly consequences. He is, change the metaphor, change the terminology of the relationship. He is a loving father and he will chasten his children. Right? You do wrong, the Lord will chasten. Right? And so the challenge of it all is, listen... Let's think about slaves and masters. Let's think about employers and employees and so on. And let's bring the Lord into the picture. Let's bring our relationship with him into the picture. Let's bring his rightful place as the one who really, truly, as those definitions said, has uh, he is the superior under whom I am under complete control of that superior. He has complete rights over me. Right? And I am to live my life in light of that. I am to live my life as one who is not his own. I have been bought with a price. Right? 
And that is to color and affect my thinking as I go about um, my relationship at work, right? Again, to bring it forward into our current setting. Uh, so it's very, very interesting how uh, the Lord is emphasizing um, our relationship with him and, and, and really as his servants, as his slaves. And I, I think, right, as the Lord Jesus himself, when he talked uh, to his disciples about his uh, return one day, uh, he used a number of different parables that gave the picture of a master entrusting to his servants wealth, right? Talents, right? Money. And expecting that those servants would employ it well. That, it, that they would exercise good stewardship on behalf of him. Right? Because he's returning. And, and we will give an account. Right? And, and, you know, we have hymns that, that have taken that phrase, right? Uh, may the Lord find us faithful. Right? And again, that's, that's taking from the language of the master when the servant comes back and says, Lord, you gave me this and here's what I've done with it. Well done, thou good and faithful slave. Same word. Are you with me? Right. So folks, this is part this is part of what our master is calling for us to do. The way we conduct ourselves in the workplace, right? God's intent is that it be done with an eye to my master in heaven and his return one day. That's part of what he has entrusted me with, right? He hasn't given me a bag of money as such. That's an illustration, Right, But here, clearly, this is part of what he has entrusted me with. And it's even, as we saw in um, uh, Timothy, sorry, it was in 1 Timothy, uh, let as many, as, as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Right? We are supposed to be not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would mean that we would identify ourselves as Christians in the workplace. How does your conduct in that workplace reflect on your master? That's the point. Right? And the Lord is challenging us to say, okay, I need to work, I need to live, I need to serve. You know, some of you guys are self-employed, right? Uh, so we've got customers, same kind of an idea, right? We're serving these customers, same kind of principle applies. They don't have absolute control of us, of course not, right? Same principles apply though, right? And so the Lord really, really would challenge our thinking on this regard. 
We didn't uh, read it, but Titus chapter 2 makes the same point. Exhort its servants to be obedient unto their own masters, to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, fancy word for embezzling, but showing all good fidelity to this end, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. This is part of what God has entrusted to us. And so the challenge for us is to conduct ourselves. This is the marketplace. This is day in and day out. This is Monday through Saturday or whatever, right? The six days that you're laboring. Here's how we're to conduct ourselves. This is no small thing, right? It's an important thing, right? And it's important because we have a master. We are bought with a price. But folks, he is the best of masters. He is the absolute best of masters. And he never is unjust with us. He is never uh, overbearing with us. He is never harsh with us. I mean, he will be stern. He will chasten. He will correct. All of those good things, right? It's for our profit, right? And uh, so praise the Lord that we have a master like this. And what a privilege it is for us to labor and serve for him. And folks, there is a day coming when we will enter into his presence. right? And oh, Lord, by your grace, and really it's only by your grace, I would like to be a faithful slave. I would like to be that faithful slave. You know, and even as I say that, your mind goes back and you realize, you know, you realize, you know, how far short we've come. But there's still time. I don't know how much time. But there's still time. If I haven't been I can, right? I can turn. I can repent. I can say, Lord, I am so sorry. Help me. And I can step forward. And I can do better. Again, by His grace and with His help. And all of that kind of reflection upon ourselves and our living and how we have conducted ourselves, and all of that is good good things for us to do. And may the Lord really encourage our hearts. Again, this is not you know, something that we have to somehow conjure up in ourselves, folks. The context of this in Colossians 3, this is this great transforming work that God's doing in us. Right? This is the fruit of His Spirit. Right? If we would give ourselves to Him, ask Him for it, yield ourselves to Him uh, to see it done. So praise the Lord, right? This is a little bit on slaves and masters. And I am going to line up with Paul and Peter and John and Epaphras and Moses and all those guys, actually, and the Lord Jesus. Because he took upon him the form of a slave. Philippians chapter 2. Amazing, right? Praise the Lord, right? We have a wonderful calling and a great privilege is ours. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for teaching us, for giving us your word. 
Thank you, Lord, for setting before our minds the truth so that we can think through human relationships in light of your truth. And uh, Lord, we have various earthly masters, as it were. None of them are perfect. And even if we happen to be in a position of an earthly master and we've got employees or whatever, we are not perfect, unfortunately. But Lord, we pray that you would help us as Christian people, as believers in Christ, help us to listen to your word, to hear its counsel and instruction, and to desire it to be lived in our own lives and in our own walk. And so, Lord, encourage us in this. This is a good thing that you are setting before us. And may we, with willing hearts, uh, step forward in our service for you, uh, our great Master, our loving Lord, our great God and King, and uh, our Redeemer. So, Lord, thank you so much. Help us. We do need your help, Lord. We need your grace to take it out of the classroom and into the laboratory of life. Uh, Help us, Lord, to do that. And we will thank you. And you, by your good work in us, will be glorified. And that's a good thing. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.